0: What's going on Dolphins fans? Welcome to a Victory Monday episode of Locked on Dolphins. Today is Monday, August 15th. The Dolphins victorious in week one of the 2022 preseason over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I ground the tape. We're going to check out the good, the bad, the ugly here today on the show. Let's get after it. You are locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins Monday, August 15th. I'm a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, the director of scoutingthedraftnetwork.com, and your host here on a victory Monday episode of Locked On Dolphins. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Betonline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Betonline is where the game starts. I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Uh, I had originally had a post game summary filmed, recorded, ready to go, and then we got the Trill Williams news, and then I also actually got the coaches all 22 from the game itself. So wanted to kind of skip the broad brush stuff and really dive into Uh, the actual film observations and and getting a chance to watch the entire picture for the entirety of the game. So uh, this is my second run at a Monday episode of the show, but I wanted to give you guys the most relevant information that we can, which means Victory Monday has to start um, with a black cloud instead of all of the uh, good that there is to discuss because we did get the news yesterday afternoon. That second year cornerback, Trill Williams, uh, reportedly did indeed tear his ACL. That would presumably put him out for the season. Uh, and that is a big loss for the Dolphins from a youth movement perspective. It's also a big loss for the Dolphins from a depth at cornerback perspective. Because Trill Williams played pretty good in this football game. Uh, his ability to ha- showcase instincts with stuff happening in front of his face when you're playing zone coverage. Like the play in which he actually did indeed tear uh, his ACL was off coverage. Immediate recognition that they were going to try a quick throw because uh, they, they were trying to pick up some, Tampa Bay was trying to pick up some cheap yardage. Miami gets a, a big tackle for loss on that play because True Williams' instincts allowed him to immediately trigger on the ball, but you also saw him fill against the run on C-gap fits. Uh, you saw him playing and squeezing and funneling and zone coverage and understanding kind of the the depth that's necessary versus the threats that you have in your vacancy. And I thought that was something throughout the night uh, Miami's young players kind of struggle with. Trill Williams did not have those troubles. So best wishes, of course, to Trill Williams. We will dearly miss you while you uh, are recovering from your knee injury. Hope to see you back soon and uh, we look forward to many more exciting plays as a member of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, but Miami did win this football game on Saturday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 26-24. to uh, Coach Mike McDaniel with a successful ice of the opposing kicker uh, on the final play of the game uh, that, that allowed the Dolphins to survive. Uh, after a couple of times late in that game, letting Tampa Bay off the hook. You know, Miami was up two and got the ball back and you thought that might be an opportunity to slam the door shut. And that didn't happen and then they give gave the ball back to Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay gets a big run but there's a holding penalty that pushes that that play back and they're backed up inside their own 10. And uh sure enough, you, you get them to third and long, you get them to third and 21, third and 22, you get them to uh, fourth and 12 and they still end up getting the first down. Uh, you get them to another third and long. They they hit a cover three beater uh, up the seam, and and the seams were really a, a troublesome spot for the the Dolphins defense in general. But I want to start. I, I want to lay this show out as best as I can with the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Uh, because I th- I think there was a lot of good. Uh, Miami was pretty vanilla. Uh, they they in crunch time started to dial up some exotics to win the football game with their third and fourth stringers, but uh, they played a lot of their what's called, or at least what was called in the, the New England structure, which of course is the structure that we're still using, uh, their army front, which is a 5-1 bare front. What does that mean, Kyle? Why don't you speak English? Okay, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> yeah, three down linemen. You got two edge rush linebackers outside of that, and you got one stack linebacker that plays behind it who reads the back, who keys the back. And then you'll usually have a sub-package player, the Dolphins in nickel, uh, had a uh, – was Brandon Jones early in the game, and then it was kind of Quincy Wilson and, and Elijah Campbell later in the game who would play on the second level alongside that backer but be responsible for other coverage opportunities. And, of course, you'd you'd have to straddle and fit the run as you go. So uh, Miami played a lot of that bare front, which means you have interior down linemen occupying all three – of the interior offensive line. And early in the game, it was Duke Riley stacked behind it. Then you saw Sam McGuabin stacked behind it, Calvin Munson, uh, Channing Tyndall. You know, you, you got a good rotation, a good taste, a good flavor for all those guys playing stack backer in varying degrees throughout the course of the game. But it went a lot of their early downs, that was it. That was what they played. Uh, so I know there was a lot of commentary about uh, – Miami against Rashad White, who's a really good player, was a a player that apparently the Dolphins had some interest in. I'm unconcerned with some of the chunk plays because at the end of the day, Tampa Bay rushed the ball 31 times for 88 yards, right? Like You you actually, at the end of the day, your total body of work represented fairly well defending the run with this five-man front, which you were pretty persistent with playing uh, in the early downs, and then you got into your third longs and you saw a little bit more willingness to kind of get exotic and get in your 5-0 pressure package a little bit. But uh, still a lot of cover three. Quiet down, Siri. I'm trying to talk here. <laughs> um, offensively, Skyler Thompson is, is obviously where you have to start. Uh, the fact that he played the entire of the game, he was 20-28, uh, 106 passer rating throughout the course of the game. The moment never really looked too big, thought he operated efficiently. I think you saw some of the Dolphins core concepts as far as the play action rollouts, how often they were involved in play action. And we'll talk about the running game in just a minute, because I know that that's an area of concern. But if I look at this Dolphins offensive death chart up and down in its entirety, there were a couple of standout performers uh, for good. You know, I thought. That Cedric Wilson, early in the game, showcased himself well. Limbo and Jr., of course, with the touchdown pass on a nasty double move. Vertical stem, little head nod inside, little stutter. Get up over top, and they really went after, I believe it was Zion McCollum, number 27, the uh, the rookie from Sam Houston State that they went after. But that's good awareness. They hit a double move against an overly aggressive young player, uh, which is exactly what the Dolphins did. And props to Limbo and Jr. I thought he, in general... Had himself a really nice game. Uh, got to see him on special teams. He was productive returning kicks. Uh, he had the three receptions with the touchdown catch. I thought he, he was the fringe 53 player who I think helped himself the most, if we're being honest. Lynn Bowen Jr. I also thought Trent Sherfield represented himself well as well. Muhammad Sanu popped up a couple of times. Uh, so, not a big surprise that the skill players. Uh, which is such an area of depth for the Dolphins. And I thought Seathan Carter played well as well, uh, as a guy who, in the second half of that game, he outsnapped Hunter Long. Hunter Long took three snaps, uh, which is uh, an area of interest. I don't know if concern's the right word, but at least interest. And then on the offensive line, Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson on the right side and the early reps that they took, I think they took 13 snaps. They played really well. Uh, I, I thought they showcased really good chemistry uh with one another as far as staying on their zone tracks together uh being on the same page I think there was one stunt that we were a little bit laid off of um where the looper came up inside but other than that uh, it was a pretty strong opening statement for the right side of the Dolphins' offensive line with the starters playing now Connor Williams did not play Michael Dieter did we'll talk about Michael Dieter but we're talking about the good right um Not a lot of good with the backs. Tanner Connor uh, was another player who who had a couple of nice plays. I think you saw the rawness with him. Uh, Struggled a little bit with the inline portion of playing the tight end position, but that shouldn't be a surprise. And then Solomon Kinley, I thought, played himself a really nice game. And I wasn't sure on the TV copy whether or not Solomon was a part of the problem with the Dolphins' ability to run the football. Uh, But Solomon was really stout. I thought he was good in pass protection. He anchored extremely well. He anchored better than anybody else on the second and third team lines. And uh, he did get some push. Now, at the end of the day, you know what Solomon is, and you know mobility is going to be a a sticking point for him. But at least on Saturday night, I thought Solomon Thomas played himself a very, very good football game. We're going to continue talking about the good here. From the All-22 film review of the Dolphins preseason win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, But before we get there, life is full of twists and turns and it's important to show up for yourself. Through it all, BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can help match you to your own licensed professional therapist. In less than 48 hours, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist and schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to. And getting therapy every week is as easy as a few clicks from your laptop or phone. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. Financial aid is also available. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. And they have a special offer for our listeners here on. Locked on dolphins. You could save 10% on your first month at get at betterhelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. Defensively, thought John Jenkins, except for facing double teams, uh, played a really good football game. There were a couple of, of down and distances where John Jenkins took on double teams. Uh, and especially in the first half of the contest, and he really struggled to anchor in those situations. I thought Raquan Davis represented himself particularly well against Robert Hanzy, the young center from Tampa Bay, second-year player. You know, kind of the stack, gap control. I'm gonna peek. I know the ball's coming to the opposite a gap from where my head's at, but I'm gonna hold it, hold it, hold it. Absolute last minute. I'm gonna shuck that block and make the tackle. Limit those plays in the hole. And Raquan did that night. Uh, down after down, over and over and over again. I thought UDFA Ben Steele uh, from Nebraska showcased himself well as a player who, uh, in a lot of the schemed rushes when you're playing games up front, you're running twists, you know, tackle end stunts, and, and, and have the two loopers, or, or have two, two slants and a looper coming behind it. All those kinds of games that you could play to kind of manufacture free runners up the middle. Steele played really well in those instances to occupy two blockers, create chaos when you crash into one offensive lineman, and then also transition off of that to redirect yourself and get upfield and push through the gap. I thought that was an area that he showcased himself very, very well. Uh, Van Ginkle and Jalen Phillips did not play a ton, but I thought their athleticism really stood out on the field, which is what you would expect for a couple of starters who got uh, some extended time and some looks. Uh, Channing Tindall, there were a couple of pass drops that Channing Tindall took where he dropped from a stack backer on an interior alignment, probably a 30 alignment, which means you're you're on the outside shoulder of that offensive guard stacked off the ball. And you push to hook curl, and and you're getting 10 yards of depth, and you're getting plenty of width, and then transitioning out of those zone drops to then come up and make tackles on dump-offs and and checkdowns that are happening in front of his face. But well, Channing Tyndall really, really showcased himself well in that regard. And then you also got to see the physicality component on a couple of times where he was able to trigger downhill and challenge Bucks blockers in the hole. Uh, and he physically stood up uh, blockers in those instances. I thought he represented himself very, very well as well. A couple of young pass rushers, edge guys, Darius Hodge being one uh, who looked really good in, in spurts. Uh, he, of course, was in on the, the strip for Sam McLaughlin's uh, touchdown fumble recovery. And then DeAndre Johnson from University of Miami is a guy I'd like to see more of. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching Cameron Good on the uh, broadcast copy, and I thought Cameron Good, other than trying to anchor at the point of attack, uh, did play pretty well. But I thought DeAndre Johnson showcased more than what Cameron Good did as I actually got into the film and watched my way through. So that was an interesting development for me. I thought Eric Rowe on select reps, Brandon Jones on select reps. They obviously have a big role to play for the Dolphins defense this year. Uh, I thought they were sufficient in pass coverage. But again, their ability to really step forward um, and, and help fill and fit the run was where they, they helped themselves the most. And then you'd be remiss to not mention Elijah Campbell. Uh the safety DBs waiver wire claim from the Jets last year played on teams. But this dude, this dude was giving you defensive reps and good defensive reps. They'd start a lot of two high shells with Campbell and they'd roll him down into kind of that rat or robber type uh coverage where it, you're you're buzzing down and then immediately looking for anything coming across the middle. And he triggered on one that resulted in the acrobatic interception lying on the ground uh, where he challenged for Shad White and actually wrestled the football away as it was bobbling around down the ground. And then he had a really good stick on rookie K Otten against the Bucs as well on another check down, uh, just a little stick route. And he drove real hard, real aggressive down on that target. Perfectly timed strike. Made sure he got low enough where he wasn't targeting up on the head. He didn't launch himself into it, but he stuck him, and he hit him really hard. Um, so Elijah Campbell definitely moved the needle for me, as far as you know, he can play teams because he played teams for this team last year. Speaking of special teams, Jason Sanders is back, or at least appears like it. Uh, Thomas Morstead on the holds. Sanders four for four, two fifty-plus yard field goals in the game. Uh, Looked like his old self look like the kind of kicker that deserved the contract that Jason got after the 2020 season. Now, as I review this film, the biggest thing that stood out to me was that the dolphins played this, and this is exactly what you would expect for a preseason game with a, what you see is what you get kind of mentality, right? Where Let's say offensively, because people will look at the Dolphins' rushing production and say that's a problem. They didn't do anything in the round, on the ground game. They had less than 50 yards rushing, and they had 41 of those came on a scramble from Skylar Thompson, and another one came on a 20-yard run from Miles Gaskin. That really only happened, and it happened against technically a 10-man box, and it really only happened because 51 bit the 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 Bucks' rookie linebacker bit on the boot action after the ball was handed up, and it pulled him completely across the set and away from the gap that he was in a perfect position to fit if he had just followed the back and traced the back. Uh, But Tampa Bay had eight guys within five or six yards of the line of scrimmage consistently throughout the course of the football. And I understand the reputation of Coach McDaniel, run game coordinator, rejuvenated run game, but. If you're going to get eight guys within six yards of the box and you're going to play man to man or you're going to play cover three. So you got a free high safety play in the middle of the field, and then you got corners that either are going to play bail Tech and play cover three, or they're going to play man to man on the outside when you don't have your two most, three most, two most dynamic players on the outside, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. What do you expect? You want to run into a brick wall? <laughs> like um, so I am I'm glad the Dolphins implemented some play action and, and didn't they, they took what the defense gave them, right? And that, that's usually you hear coaches and quarterbacks talk about that. Yeah, we're just trying to take what the defense gives us and stay efficient. That's what the Dolphins did. Uh the, the Bucks said, You get a seventh round rookie quarterback that's gonna play the whole game. Okay, we're we're gonna make him beat us. And courtesy of a team effort, good special teams effort, a couple of turnovers on defense. An efficient play from Scholar Thompson, they did. And I think that that's the macro picture, uh, good as well. Uh, just kind of getting into a couple formations that uh, the Dolphins were facing and face themselves versus, you know, defensively what the Dolphins like to live in. You saw both of these teams kind of decide, hey, here's what, where we want to live. Here's the kind of front and, and personnel we want to present. And unless it's obvious down and distance situations like third and long, we're really not going to get out of that. And I, I think that was a, a good good takeaway to have for all the Dolphins fans who may have had questions about, you know, what, what was the vibe throughout the game? Why did we have some of the problems that we did? But it's time to transition into some of the players that I I wish we would have seen a little bit more from. We had the bad and the ugly. And I'll start with uh, a couple of interior offensive linemen who were disappointing on first watch, uh, Liam Eikenberg and Michael Dieter on the offensive line, uh, too many plays where these guys didn't keep their balance or on the ground. And I understand we're getting used to new tracks. I understand Michael is coming back from a foot injury that had him in a boot like two weeks ago. So I'm sympathetic and I'm not like, I'm not saying we got to blow this up. Right. Uh, And the bucks to their credit have a lot of depth on the defensive front. This is one of the best run defenses in the NFL for a reason. It's not just Devin white, the linebacker who didn't play. Uh, So, I'm not overly panicked, but I did not think Liam or Michael Dieter played particularly well when they were in the game early on for the Dolphins. I think the same could be said for Robert Jones, um, and he played deeper into the game. He played a much bigger sample size than Dieter and Eichenberg did, where he, like, maybe they would have settled in. Uh, I thought Robert Jones really struggled with uh, keeping his feet alive and keeping blocks framed. Uh, There was a couple of of late stunts where he didn't get his head back around to feel it, and as a result, he's catching the full momentum of defensive linemen who are collapsing him and pushing him back into the pocket, or you're getting free runs at your quarterback. Uh, So that, that was one that stood out to me as well from the second group line. Hunter Long, three snaps. First one was a complete whiff coming inside across his face that flushed Skylar Thompson off his spot. It was fortunate it wasn't a sack. And he did come back on his second rep, and he actually had a really nice block on the edge. But that's not the sample size and the workload that I'm looking for for a player who needs to put his foot on the gas and needs to wake up a little bit. Uh, I, I would generalize the performance of, of the entire running back room. Now, Sonny Michel played... Slightly and ran tough. and but you had Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, Jared Dokes, and Zaquandra White. And those four guys, you're probably fighting for one roster spot. I don't know that anybody did anything to stake a claim to taking that spot. Jared Dokes uh, had a couple opportunities to put his pads down in the hole and really churn out a couple of tough yards. He did convert one short yardage situation. Uh, but he just didn't run with the weight that I thought he was capable of when he was coming out of Cincinnati. Uh, and, and Gaskin, well, he he had one pressure pickup where he came across the set and got totally blown up, uh, like put on his back by a DB. And that was kind of where he regressed last year, was hoping to see some more stability there. I don't know that we necessarily got. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Benito Jones had a couple of splash plays, and I thought he was relatively up and down. But for a nose tackle, uh, you go back and you watch the second touchdown that the Bucs scored, which was the rushing touchdown where they got down in the low red zone. And uh, Benito, on all of those red zone runs, was completely uprooted, out of his spot, didn't hold his gap, and it really exacerbated some issues with, with the backers behind him trying to negotiate and fit the run. So uh, Benito Jones had up and down. There were pros, but there were cons, and I thought the cons relative to the position that he played uh, was one that I was, was hoping we wouldn't have to see. Uh, tackling in general was tough it was a tough showing from a tackling perspective. Brandon Jones had one where he came too flat on the cross from Tyler Johnson and knocked out two DBs, or it was Duke Riley and Noah Benogany. Um, Sam McGuavin had another one over the middle where he had a kill shot on a wide receiver. He missed the tackle. Wide receiver spins back out the back door and gets a lot of chunky yardage. Uh, so, I certainly hope tackling is going to be a little bit more of a point of emphasis this week. I know the Dolphins are trying to walk the tightrope between sports science and being ready for the start of the season and and workload management versus full contact. Uh, But this was kind of a a rough awakening for a lot of Dolphins players who missed a lot of open field tackle opportunities that you can't have when you play New England, when we're playing for keeps. So uh, I thought that was the big-picture takeaway uh, for the Dolphins there. Uh, Keon, or excuse me, not Keon Carlson, he, pl- he played well when he was, it was in. D'Angelo Ross, number 35, was a player who, from the practice clips, it appeared as though the Bucs had a lot of success going after, and they had success going after him. Uh, once again, uh, on the field, he gave up the, the touchdown reception, the, the fade from Kyle Trask. That was a ball that was put over his outside shoulder. His eyes come back inside. Uh, but he, there was no attempt to work his eyes back to the body of the receiver and challenge to make the catch, and as a result, he gave up a touchdown. That's not the kind of performance that you needed from Ross, who was a player who I think has really struggled to get his feet underneath him in general, and with some cuts coming this week, uh, I thought he had the kind of performance that really puts him in the danger zone of not seeing the end of the week. I thought uh, Elijah Hamilton had a pretty up-and-down game as well, uh, another street-free agent from 2022. Uh, and then Calvin Munson, who has been a guy who's kind of lingered, been on waivers, been on the practice squad, been on the 53, played some teams. A couple times where I thought he was a little – there was one play in particular on that drive that ultimately led to the Bucks miss field goal where he went to trigger and shoot a gap as the Mike Backer. Uh, and he was way over aggressive to shoot that gap. He caught a little bit of contact on his way through the hole. He got knocked two holes over, uh, and it was actually the run. I think it was the run that actually had the holding penalty called that would have started that with like a 20-plus yard run where the, the run wound back out the back door. Uh, but they did call a holding penalty on the play. It was um, one of the DBs that got the holding call and, and had it pulled back. So. Um, Those were a couple of players for me who, and then Braylon Sanders had the one opportunity to catch a ball with uh, Skylar Thompson staring down the barrel of some A-gap pressure on a third down when you are trying to ice the game. And Skylar Thompson could not have put that ball in a better place. It was thrown with a lot of anticipation. It had to be thrown early because we had a free runner coming down the shoot at us. And he put it in the perfect spot where if Braylon Sanders had looked for the ball and put his hands up, it was about a foot out in front of his face mask it would have been a very easy in stride catch to move the chains, convert move you into plus territory. Uh, but instead he was just kind of late getting his head up late to react to the ball as it whizzed by. Uh, So I just thought that was a missed opportunity for a guy who needs to make some plays to kind of stake a claim to try to push for a roster spot. Thought that was the bad. The ugly. Okay. Your offensive tackles made it impossible for you to evaluate any hope that you had of getting any kind of momentum in the run game against stuffed boxes. Larno Coleman, uh got bull rushed by a 240-pound edge rusher in Cam Gill. Can't happen. That was the first sack of the game. Then you had uh, Keon Smith, who completely busted on the right side on the second sack of the game, which when I watched it live, they got so much push, I thought they were hot, which means you have more rushers than you have blockers. It's Skyler. And still, Skyler still can't take the sack there. Uh, but they they ran a little uh, kind of like an arrow return route uh, where they were trying to, or a rub return where they were trying to get Muhammad Sanu to rub off of Tanner Connor against man coverage, where he pushes inside, uh, gets across the tracks of Tanner Connor releasing up the field, and then return back out to the sideline uh, to get a rub and manufacture a rub so that you can catch and then turn up and get the first down. Well, Tanner Connor is late getting out of the blocks because he's got a defensive end lined up directly over top of him. So he's got to push way wide, where maybe ideally he would have pushed inside so that you didn't have Muhammad Sanu stepping inside and Tanner Conner very close together stepping outside where they kind of come into each other and it throws off the timing of that uh, return route. That was where Skyler looked to go with the ball. Now, Skylar still had River Craycraft on the outside running a speed route where River won outside leverage at the top of the stem, and you still could have thrown the ball there. So you understand, but at the end of the day, you had six on six. So I understand why he held the ball. But the pressure from Keon Smith off the right edge was so fast, I thought they were hot, that they had a free runner. Uh, and that was the second sack of the game. And Schuyler took three sacks throughout the course of the contest. Uh, any interior penetration was coming through right guard via Keon Smith. Um, I always like to watch the tape and then go look at places like Pro Football Focus who, who offer game scores and uh, see if what I saw aligns. And in some cases it does, in some cases it doesn't. But I could tell you that Keon Smith was the second worst graded offensive tackle in all of football. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus. And I would agree with that assessment. It was a really, really tough watch, and it blew up a lot of your opportunities to evaluate the players. And that's the tough spot you're at in the preseason, right? You evaluate, you're got to you trying to evaluate players. You're trying to see what they can do. But if one guy is going to play at a detrimental level, what that does is it negates your ability to evaluate the backs. It, evalu- it really tempers down your ability to evaluate the guy who's playing next to him at right guard. So now I did think he got a couple late reps over at left tackle, and I thought he looked better. Now does that mean he's exclusively left tackle? Maybe, and if that's the case, well, you're a street free agent, undrafted free agent from 2021, uh, who does not have swing flexibility. That's not going to help your resume. So we we need to see Greg Little back ASAP, and we probably still need to sign a tackle. I have a couple names on the short list. Um, For offensive tackle, I also have a couple names on the short list for backer. I think you need Sam McGuivin played his butt off. Um, But there were some opportunities in open space where I thought he tried to run under blocks, including on a screen pass that he ran underneath of a block and then ended up being a big gain up the right sideline where if he would have came across the over top of the block, maybe you limit it to a four or five yard gain. The missed tackle. A little over-aggressiveness. I think you might want to have an insurance policy to play as a thump backer. So I'm not saying Aguavin's off the roster by any means. He's going to play teams and be very good, and I think he's very good when he's playing forward as a pressure player in your sub-package groups. But if you're going to carry six stack backers, you got Roberts, Baker, Aguavin, Tyndall, Duke Riley. That's five. Are you going to carry a sixth? I don't know. But if you are, I got a couple names on that short list because I didn't think of Guavin in an elevated role. Um, he was everywhere because he, his motor's super hot, but he was not particularly efficient. And then there's Noah monogamy. But we do have to acknowledge uh, he was uh, one of the culprits, and I would say there's some compounding complementary factors that compounded for the touchdown reception that he did give up. But they were playing cover three in the high, in the high red zone. And Noah is way soft. He's playing bail technique, which means his hips are up the field, away from the line of scrimmage, and his eyes are back. So he's keying, keying all of this happening in front of his face. There's one threat on that half of the field, down the field. There's a running back who released late out into the flat. Brandon Jones was playing hook curl. He would be responsible in that situation to step up and trigger. The wide receiver gives one slight head nod outside and then comes back inside to bow that route inside into that void. Backers, uh, 45 and 49, Duke, Riley, and Sam McGuavin sucked up big time on the play-action pass, so you had this big void in the middle of the field, and you also had two strong to that side, uh, who I think was Scotty Miller, running uh, a special or a cross, a deep over, whatever you want to call it. So you're playing cover three. So you have Nick Needham, who's playing free safety. He's responsible for the deep middle of the field. He sees his linebackers flood up. He sees this cross coming across the middle of the field with all this space. He cheats it. I understand why. It was exacerbated and compounded. But because he cheats it, when that receiver that Noah's playing over top of in deep third bends his route inside, you have a much larger void, which comes back to Noah Igbenogany playing way soft. He was in bail technique playing five yards, over top, and then bit a little bit, had a hesitation step on the outside head fake before having to come back inside. When you were playing deep third, and the the corner on the other side was Keon Crossan, who I believe that outside receiver to that side ran like a hitch or something short. Keon Crossan didn't continue to sink and get depth. He squeezed and clamped that route because there's no other threats there. And then as the over route declared, then you saw Crossan start to drop off and push in case the ball was thrown flat. He could undercut it from that deep third and make an interception. Well, Noe Benogany, because he's playing so soft and he is, is over eager to react to the first move that happens in front of his face, he creates this massive void and window, and it's not enough close ability. And I thought that was a general theme throughout for him playing zone coverage is the reactiveness to the ball. The Dolphins are playing, look like co- it, was, it was cover two, right? Not, cover, not two man, but cover two, where you are responsible for flat as the corners on the outside. You got two high safeties, they, they play the deep shell. Your linebackers and everything are responsible for everything in the middle. And he's playing cover two, where he's tilted in and he's looking right down the chute at a tight end that runs a stick route. And you will have the quarterback who opens to that side and is staring at it. And the quarterback's hands break, which is usually an association for he's throwing the ball because he's initiating his throwing delivery. And Noah took four additional steps backwards while seeing all this happen in front of his face. And I, I, you know, I generally pride myself on being very sample size oriented. You know, I, I try not to make too, too many knee jerk reactions, and I've tried to be extremely patient with Noah Benigni. Even if you go back two weeks, I said, yeah, you know, he's he looks better, improved in training camp. From being here than what he was the year before when I was here. But if Noah Benogany is going to play, he's going to have to play man coverage because I'm highly concerned about the instincts in zone. If you're highly concerned about the instincts in zone, then you could forget about the potential of shifting into safety, right? Which is so what's what is that the next step for him? I don't think so. So now I think you have a very coverage-specific player, but even in man coverage, there's overreactiveness to head movement and head fakes. So and and I'm 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 kind of at the point where I'm worried that we might be at the point of no return. He's gonna have a couple weeks left to kind of showcase either way, and he'll probably be on the team regardless, unless a team would be willing to trade for him. Because if you cut him, you would lose an additional $1 million against your salary cap this year. If you were to find a trade for him, you'd save like $1.6 million or something like that. So those would be the uglies for me. And tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk about uh, shortlist candidates for that are still on the market at offensive tackle, inside backer, and cornerback. And obviously with the news of Trill Williams and the performance of Noah Glenogni, Uh, That cornerback position now you will get Byron Jones back, so you have Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Nick Needham as a one through three. I'm fairly comfortable with that group, and then you're also going to have Keon Crossan as a four or five. And if he's your five and you go out and you get a veteran player, I think you can be in pretty good shape going into the season. But that means the Dolphins will have some work to do, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow on the show. Fin's up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins, your team every day. We don't just say it. We live it. Make it a great day. I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.